to complete that study tonight. And um, after this week, we'll just have next week uh, to conclude this study. Uh, so I hope it's been uh, of some value to you. Um, you know, we've sort of been all over the Psalms. I'll try to sort of calculate up by the time we get through next week. I guess it'll be 30 or so that we've, uh, we've covered. So even though we've covered a lot of ground, we've really only touched the hem of the garment when it comes to the Psalms. Uh, so much goodness there uh, for us to gain from. So uh, last week we started off by talking about how amazing God's power is and what a blessing it is that God wants to put his power to work in our lives. And we referenced uh, Ephesians 3.20 that talks about that, which says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. And so God's power is an amazing thing, and we can see it in all aspects of our lives and in the world, but he wants that power to be at work within us. And that's, that's a great, great thought. Um, but if God's power is going to be at work in our lives, there's some things that we have to do. And one of the most important things there is that we have to give ourselves to him. God's power is not going to work in our lives if we don't, if we don't follow God, if we don't give ourselves over to him. We have to depend on um, God and his power. The first point that we dealt with last week, and this is where we wrapped up, so we'll just recap it right quick and then move on to the, uh, the second and third points. Um, we went to Psalm 91, and we talked about the fact that when we understand God's power, we can take refuge in Him. Uh, if you remember, we talked a little bit about the, the cities of refuge that, um, that were established uh, under the old law. And those, those cities were established so that people who uh, killed someone by accident had a place to go and seek refuge and, and to be safe uh, until there was a time for a, a trial that they could hopefully uh, prove their innocence in that situation. But that idea of the city of refuge being a place of safety, and that was a real life example of what God is for us. He is our refuge. He's that place that if we can get to, we're safe and we're protected. And so we, some of the verses that we looked at in particular were verses 9 through 12 in Psalm 91. It says, Because you've made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague shall come near your tent, for he'll command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And you remember that we, we spent quite a bit of time talking about the fact that uh, these words could leave, leave the implication that basically um, nothing bad can happen to a Christian. And then sort of by reverse, if something bad happens to a Christian, you must be doing something wrong, right? And that is, um, that's a, a challenge that we face sometimes with, with other religious teachings. But we talked about that, that really what we need to take from Psalm 91 is that there is quite a bit of figurative speech here because it's talking about God's divine protection. And the divine protection of God is not something that can be described even to us in literal terms. It's, not th it's the, some of those things that are above us. 
um, you know, that, um, that only God truly understands. Um, but particularly in relation to this, we need to realize that these are figurative things. Um, and, and the biggest point of all of this is that God, God is covering us. God is protecting us. And sometimes that is to take us through those trials when bad things happen to us. And sometimes it is in his providential will to protect us from bad things. And all of these things we truly don't understand, but we must have faith that God does what he says he's going to do. So um, one last thought we had when we were talking about the refuge that God provides if we're going to experience the power of God, we have to experience the presence of God. We're not going to receive God's power if we're not in His presence. And of course, when we talk about presence, we think about two things really in particular. And that's the time that we spend with God in His Word. And it's the time that we spend in a prayer relationship with God, talking with Him. And, um, and so uh, that's an important part of harnessing this power that's available to us from God is that uh, we have to experience the presence of God. So then we went from there to, uh, to the second point in Psalm 31. And this is sort of where we landed and, and left off. And our second point in Psalm 31 is that when we tap into God's power, we can overcome feelings of distress and fear. And uh, some of the verses that we read, we won't read the whole uh, passage again, but uh, sort of the middle section, uh, we read verses 9 through 16. We'll cover those again right quick. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I'm in distress. My eyes wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. But I trust you, O Lord... So that we're jumping there from 9 and 10 down to 14. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hands of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. And we talked about all the difficult times that, you know, that invariably we're going to face along the way. Times of distress and fear and sometimes even hopelessness and and the fact that David, as he wrote this psalm, um, was expressing some of those same kinds of feelings. And so his set of circumstances may have been different, but the feelings that were caused by those circumstances, I think we can, you know, we can very much relate to in difficult times during our life. Um, we talked about the fact that, um, that there were folks that wanted to, to kill David. They, they wanted to cause him pain. He was really in the valley of despair. And so, so there were four things that David did, and we, we were sort of flying by this point. So um, I'm not sure I can remember me saying it last week. So I'm going to trust. I should have just acted like this was new, right? So, um, but I do want to slow down and, and hit these. So four things that David did to give his life to God. Um, he affirmed his confidence in God. He reminded himself of who God is and what God had done for him. Sometimes, you know, God's always there, but sometimes we need a reminder. You know, it's, God's always in the same place. We sort of move around. 
you know, in, in our relationship to him at times. But um, it's important, and it was important for David to sort of reaffirm his confidence in God. You know, verse 14, he said, But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. Sometimes that, you know, so who was that affirmation for? In that circumstance, it was David sort of talking to David, right? He needed that reminder that this God is my God. So he submitted himself, uh, so he affirmed his confidence in God. He submitted his circumstances to God's control. And, and this is that, that line that um, I think I'm going to have underlined in my Bible in verse 15 where he says, My times are in your hand. I think that's, that's really good, right? He said, you know, I'm, my life, my times are in your hand. And that's, that's what we need to be doing, turning ourselves over to God's control. He was ready to allow God to do with him whatever he desired. Then the third thing that he did was he surrendered himself to the loving kindness of God. In verse 16, he said, Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. So he was ready to receive the love that God gives. And then he prayed that God would remove his enemies. He had been God's servant, and under his protection, he asked God to take care of those who wanted to destroy him. So David realized that he couldn't change his condition on his own, and he committed himself to God. He trusted God for the outcome of his life, and he knew that all things would be well if God was in charge. And so there's great lessons for us in relation to this. You know, when we have those feelings of hope, hopelessness, we don't need to listen to those things. We need to trust God. Um, when we're overwhelmed with, with a fear that, uh, that we're alone, God's nowhere to be found, we don't need to believe those things because they're not true. The overriding truth is where our our trust must be in the promises of God. Um, going to have more to say about that in just a second. There are some uh, some scriptures that um, that really help us drive this point home about trusting in God and giving ourselves to Him. Matthew eleven twenty eight and twenty nine says, "Come to me, all you all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me." For I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. God wants us to come to him and, and to give our troubles over to him. John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Deuteronomy 33, 27, the eternal God is your dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And he thrust out the enemy before you and said, destroy and then finally, Hebrews 4.16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God welcomes us in uh, for protection, for, um, for, for comfort in the times when we're distressed. Um, before we leave this particular section, let's talk just a little bit deeper about what it means to trust in the Lord. So if we're going to, um, to, to give ourselves to him uh, to help us with these times of distress, um, then, then we're going, you know, inherent with that is trusting in the Lord. And we're going to go back to verses 1 through 5. And, and let's go back to those and think about 
what, what we can learn from those about trust in the Lord. So uh, let's read those. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you're my rock and my fortress, and for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me, for you're my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. So what can we learn from those passages? Had a lot to say there about refuge and things that we've talked about already. Um, Trusting in the Lord means putting all of our confidence in Him. We see God as our rock, as our stronghold, as our fortress, as our strength. He's the one who is our, the one who saves us. Uh, Trusting in the Lord means we call out to Him for deliverance. God gives us prayer as an avenue to make our needs known to Him. And He knows our challenges before we ask, but He still wants us to ask. His will is for His children to come to Him with our request. That's one of those things that doesn't, you know, if we're trying to solve that logically, you know, that's, that's a little bit beyond us, right? Why do we bring our challenges to God who already knows our challenges, right? And the answer to that is because God wants us to. And part of doing that is our admission of our problems and our recognition of who can help us with our problems. And so God knows everything. And so if we're just thinking, you know, why am I, why am I praying and telling God something that God already knows? Because he asks us to and because there's something involved in us telling God those things and asking God for his help. And there's a reason that he asks us to do that, right? That part is very logical, right? That confession is very important and trust in God and submission to him is, is so very important. So part of trusting in God is calling out to him for deliverance. And it means committing our lives to God. So the ultimate trust that we can have is to put ourselves in the hands of God, to trust him to deal with our situations as he sees fit. Uh, We know that God is a God of truth and he will do what's best for us. Um, If we want God to fulfill his will in us, whatever that might be, we gotta be willing to turn over control to God. So trusting God is a tall order. Uh, But when we think of who God is and how he's treated us and his loving kindness for us, we know without a doubt that God is worthy of our trust. So um, so that's point two. When we tap into God's power, we can overcome feelings of distress and fear. And, you know, I didn't have this in my notes last week, and so sometimes you get time to look at something again and you think I need to say more here and the more I studied about this um, I don't know that I've dealt with it fully without saying a few more words Um, everything that I've said to you is right and true and straight from God's word that we're better off in any situation that we're in um, any challenge that we face when we give it to God 
than when we try to handle it on our own, right? I think we all would agree with that 100%. And, and certainly, we're, uh, we're a lot better off when we try to um, deal with, you know, in a situation where we've turned our back on God and we're trying to deal with the challenges of life, right? That doesn't work. But at the same time, I think that if I live, left this idea of God is the source for the resolution of our distresses and our fears and our hopeless feelings without sort of this admission that we live in a broken world, I, I don't think I've covered it sufficiently. You know, we live in a broken world, we are broken people, and sometimes, you know, our physical bodies start failing us, right? Anybody got any of those kind of problems? Uh, you know, like three times during the night and when I wake up in the morning and, you know, um, you know, the, the body starts to break down a little bit. But sometimes the challenges that we face can't be seen by the eye, can't be measured with a medical device. They're the emotional challenges, the mental challenges that we might face. And there are times when some of the most faithful of God's people try to do what I've just talked about, to turn things over to God and let the feelings of distress and fear go. And sometimes, because of this old broken world, there's something else going on there. There, there, are, there are challenges, and, and, and I'm talking about you know, mental, emotional challenges that make that difficult for them to be able to do. And I don't want to leave a discussion on this topic and there be somebody listening to this lesson dealing with those problems and feel like I'm telling you, well, you've just failed, you don't have enough faith, right? You know, that you, you, you couldn't tap into God's power and make that work. And it's difficult to deal with this situation because, like I said at the very beginning of it, anything that we're dealing with in any situation we're in is better if we've got God on our side. So I don't want to claim for a minute that the promises of God are not true. But sometimes there are other factors that are going on that make this more difficult. And so um, I just don't want to, I don't want to leave saying that if somebody's dealing with something more than just the battle between good and evil, that you failed. Because um, you might ask the question then, all right, smarty pants, right? So when do I know the difference between when I'm dealing with I just won't give evil away and there's something more difficult going on here? And I would say to you, you're asking the wrong guy, right? I mean, but I will say that I think a lot of times individuals, they know this. And... So that's a question that's too difficult for me to answer, but it's a very personal question. And I think it's fair to say that a lot of times people know I'm trying to do what's right, but I'm still racked with fear and distress and panic and hopefulness, and I can't get this to go away when we're trying to follow God. And so in those situations, if, you know, we talked about despair. You know, and the more of these words that I used when I talked about what David was going through, the more I thought about, we need to talk about this a little bit more. Because uh, sometimes that despair and that hopefulness, or hopelessness 
is coming from a different place. And um, if you're in that kind of situation and those things are not going away, all I can say to you is um, talk to somebody about it. Um, there's great strength in doing that. That's a difficult thing to do. Talk to a trusted friend, talk to a spouse or a family member, seek professional help. Um, God is always in the equation of helping us overcome distress and fear, but sometimes there may be some additional assistance that's needed. And that's just, that's just the truth of our physical and our mental and emotional makeup. Um, you know, I, I, this, is not, you know this, this is not me with, you know, Tim's knowledge of emotional and mental health, you know, but, um, you know, we, we talk a lot about situations and things that are a lot worse today than they used to be. This is not one of those things. This is one of those things where I think we're probably better today than we've ever been in, in history at being able to help people and understand that if you've got some emotional issue that you're dealing with, that it's, it's no different than if you're trying to fight off cancer or COVID or anything else. And there are things that can be done to help. There are medications and there's counseling and there's all kinds of things that can be done to help you with this. And um, I don't ever think about this. And I, I, I was going to try to hold myself together. But I don't ever think about this without thinking about my dad. I lost my dad when, I was 40, when he was 45 years old in 1980. And I lost him to mental illness. And if 56-year-old Tim could go back and talk to him and try to help him get him some help that really didn't exist back in those days, very, very much of it, or, or to tell him it's not hopeless, and to try to help him out of, out of this kind of despair that I'm talking about to you tonight, because he was a good man. He was a really good man. But he couldn't get out of the pits of hopelessness. And so when I talk about something like this, I can't, I become 13-year-old Tim again. And um, it's just too important not to talk about the, reality, the, the, the additional reality that there is to just the fact that you know, like I said at the beginning of all this, we're broken people. We live in a broken world, and sometimes there are, you know, sometimes your back hurts, and sometimes other things hurt and don't work the way that we wish they would. And so if there's anything that, that I can say that, you know, that would help anybody that's listening to this, and maybe nobody needed to hear this, but, um, you know, I spent an awful lot of my life not talking about this, just stuffing it down inside. And I think I've gotten to the age where I can't hold anything inside anymore, you know. But, um, but I started thinking more and more about, you know, why am I just asking myself why inside and not trying to help somebody else uh, in relation to this. And so, you know, if, if that's something that you deal with, talk to somebody that can help you. There's a lot of people out there that can. There's a, Asheville Road's full of so many smart people and people that love one another and care for one another. 
and reach out to somebody, and there's somebody out there that can help you. That's right. That's very true. To ask that question and to see, to see that my brother or sister in Christ is struggling inside. That's right. They're not the same. There's something going on there that I need to at least say something to them and, and, and show them that I right. care because we are the hands and feet of God here on this earth. And that's very true. And, and you know, some of the things we're talking about are not always evident, but many times they are. And we need to be looking out for one another. We are family, and uh, that's what family does. But we have to let people in. Because yeah. many times, you know, just like the opposite of it, when you say, hey, you did a great job in that, and uh, we'll just pass it on off and so forth, and we don't take the compliments the way they were meant to be given. We don't let people inside when they notice something is That's right. That's right. And, you know, this should be the safest place of all for us to be able to open up ourselves to one another. You know, because, you know, the world out there, you know, they may be looking for your weakness to exploit it. That's not what the church is all about, right? We're here to love and, and help one another. All right. Let's go to um, Psalm 33, and I'll try to gather myself for the rest of the time. Um Psalm 33. Um, the the final, final point here is that when we anticipate God's power, we can find joy in every circumstance. We can find joy in every circumstance. That's a great way to end this. Um, the power of, of God gives us joy. So let's read this together. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. 
He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in the steadfast love, that, they, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. Isn't it interesting that, um, that the usual things of the world that we place in our hope, you know, place our hope in, um, they're also some of those things that are the most unreliable. Look back in verse, um, let's see, uh, 16 and 17. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Right? We think, you know, just normal thinking is, you know, might makes right. You know, the, the power of a strong army or, or, or the power of being in a position that those are, those are the things we could place our hope in. But, you know, those verses are saying there, there's, no, there's no power there. That's not where power belongs. Um, those things are just an illusion of security. What if somebody asks you the question, what's your God like? That's a big question with a whole lot of answers. But this psalm gives us a way to answer that question uh, and, and I'll point it out uh, sort of in the area of verses 4 through 6. So what's your God like? Well, he created all things. Verse 6 says he's the originator of all things and all people. Um, his word is upright. He tells the truth. No word of his has ever failed. We read that in verse 4. Um, so he created all things, his words upright, his deeds are faithful. Uh, he acts out of covenant loyalty by keeping his covenants and standing by his people. Um, you know, he's, he's upright, his work is done in faithfulness is what verse 4 says. He loves righteousness. The core of the being of God is righteousness. He is righteous, he loves those who do righteous. Or, or who are righteous and, and, and are uh, full of righteousness. Verse 5. And then he fills the earth with his loving kindness. As we look around us, we're reminded that all loving kindness flows from God. And, uh, and that's what verse 5 says. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. And so that's a pretty good description um, in, in a few verses. He created all things, his words upright, his deeds are faithful, he loves righteousness, and he fills the world with his love. That's our God. In verses 10 through 12 um, of this psalm, um, that, so, so you know, verses 4 through 6 give us a good definition of who our God is. 
verses 10 through 12, we can learn a little bit about the sovereignty of God. Um, God's all the things we just mentioned, and then he is the Lord over, over us. He's the sovereign God. So let's look at verses 10 through 12 and, and see what we can get from that. Uh, for one thing, God lifts up. He raises up the nations that he wants. doesn't only control individuals, but also groups, large groups, nations, races of people. In God's great providence, he increases the power of nations and decreases the power of others. So God lifts up, but God also puts down. He destroys and he eliminates as he sees fit. He brought down the great Roman Empire in his own way at the time he chose. He, he overcame Egypt by rearing up Moses and Pharaoh's own house. So God lifts up and he puts down. God's plans are eternal. He keeps all his actions within the confines of his eternal purposes. You know, our plans are fleeting. God's plans stretch from eternity past to eternity in the future. Uh, nothing that we do will destroy God's eternal will. God's plans are eternal. So he lifts up, he puts down, his plans are eternal, and God's people endure forever. Those who put their faith in him become his people and they will be blessed eternally. God takes those who have chosen him and he makes them into his nation. His promises are our foundation. His almighty hand shields us. So there really shouldn't be much more encouraging thing than the sovereignty of God. The fact that he is Lord over, over us. He has no rival uh, in, in the history of, of time. No one can fathom his might, absorb his wisdom. The safest place we can be is in the shadow of his wing. So the final part of this psalm, and I think we'll have time to do this and, and wrap this thought up, um, focuses on God's steadfast love. Those are verses 18 through 22 on his steadfast love. Um, so steadfast love refers to the covenant love that God has for us. Um, our hope for experiencing God's mighty power in our lives is linked to his covenant love. When we enter into a relationship with God, when we, when we follow, when we become a Christian, when we follow his word, we intentionally put ourselves in his hands. He'll do everything he's promised to do in our lives, and God has the power to do just that. So in these final verses of, of um, Psalm 33, let's consider what the Lord does for his people. Uh, verse 13, he watches over us. The Lord looks down from heaven and he sees all the children of man. Down in verse 20, he protects us. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. He's our shield, our protector. Um, verse 18 says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. He sustains us. We don't have to fear the troubles of this life because he gives us strength and deliverance and life and joy. In verse 22, let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. He extends his loving kindness to us. God's grace is evident in his forgiveness and in the opportunities that he gives us to grow spiritually. And then he guarantees our future. So very important, verse 19, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. 
God fulfills our hopes for tomorrow, whether in this time or in the life to come. What a blessing it is to be a child of God. Um, this is one, one just really quick final pass through Psalm 33 that uh, we can get a, a special picture of God's grace as we look at Psalm 33. We see His grace in His Word in verses 4 through 9. We see it in His plan for us and for the world in verses 10 through 12. We see God's grace in His eyes in verses 13 through 19 and in the way He watches over us and He observes His people and, and He won't allow any need that we have to go unnoticed. And then in verses 16 through 19, we see His grace in His might. Um, grace flows from every part of God to those who put their faith in Him. So Psalm 33 certainly confirms that when we anticipate God's power, we can find joy in every circumstance. It's a matter of us tapping into that power and remembering that, that point we made early on that to, to receive God's power, we have to be in God's presence. And, and that's the part that we control. The power of God is always there. All right. We're going to conclude our study next week. And um, thank you for your time and your attention putting up with me tonight. Thanks.